Teamwork, A Better Way, the podcast filled with stories, experiences, and insights from leading high-performing team experts. Here are your hosts, Spencer Horn and Christian Napier. Well, hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Teamwork, A Better Way. I'm joined by Christian. I'm joined by Christian. I am Christian Napier. I'm joined by Spencer Horn. Having a little bit of an identity crisis here this morning, Spencer. How you doing? <laughs> Good. I'm I'm glad to be joined by Christian Napier. That's for sure. <laughs> oh my goodness. Oh well. How are you doing there in the frigid hinterlands of Harriman, Utah? <laughs> uh, good, you know. Just love getting out and exercising in, in the cold. I, uh, you know, I, I don't know. I, 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 it was it to me. It's a. I know what my mom now. You know, I, I grew up in in Canada for a couple of years. My mother was Canadian, and she used to say that the 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 winters here in Utah are very mild. Well, I was in Edmonton uh, on Tuesday and Wednesday. It was minus twenty three centigrade. So that's Ooh. minus seven Fahrenheit, which is a, a lot below freezing, and it was cold. So <laughs> it, it, that's a difference between, you know, right now it's like 19, 20 degrees outside, but it, it's a whole nother level when you get. It is a whole other level. It is brutal. I remember uh, I did a little bit of work, not much, but I did some work on Edmonton's bid for the 2022 Commonwealth Games, and yeah. and I flew up there. I think it was Jan. It was either January or February uh, for a week or two. And man, that was that was a that was a different brand of cold, man. Yeah. It was really, really really cold up there. So I feel you. Well, welcome back here to uh, sunny but chilly Utah. We've got a really, really great topic uh, that we want to talk about today. I sent you this article. I, you know, I, I, I was, uh, I, you know, how Harvard Business Review, they, they send out emails saying, hey, you might be interested in this article. Uh, and the article was really about trust and specifically about uh, building trust with colleagues, you know, because we often talk about trust coming from the top down or, you know, right. managers building trust in their teams. Uh, but this was really kind of peer-to-peer -peer trust and sent it to you and like, hey, this is an interesting topic. And you came up with a couple of great uh, terms for this, like trust craft or trustology. So I'm really excited to have this conversation with you about trust because I know this is something that is central to the work that you do with organizations. And so, uh, I guess I'll start off with a, with kind of a general question uh, about trust and teammates. Uh, and that general question uh, relates to a statistic that is that is cited early on in the in the article. So yeah. the, the the researchers they did these surveys, and what they discovered is that out of one thousand or one thousand two hundred people who participated in these surveys less than 9% of them actually uh, identified their teams as high-performing teams. And that tracks pretty close to what you have told us over the years, what you have found uh, that 12% of, of teams actually are considered high-performing teams. And so the yeah. first question I have is, why is this number so darn low? <laughs> That's a good question. You know, I, I and, and I uh, I actually ask my audiences that question. I say, you know, you may be surprised to know, and and that is based on about thirty years of research. So, thousands of thousands of teams, not just uh, you know a thousand uh, employees. So this this really corroborates the point that very few teams uh, self reported are are high performing. And there's a couple of things I, I I say. You know, with all of the training and development, and even podcasts like this, I say you might be surprised that that number is so low. On the other hand, if you think about how much pressure and stress and uh, really anxiety that uh, uh, people are experiencing right now, you may be surprised that that number is so high. Because there are a lot of expected, of, there's so much expected of teams. There are demands. Uh, you have teams that are expected to produce with less and less. Right now, we have companies that are laying off 
you know, look at the tech industry sector right now. It's just getting uh, killed. I, I think, uh, what was it? Um, Amazon laid off 18,000 last uh, January. They're, those continue. Uh, Google just announced another round of layoffs. They've kind of couch the term so that you can't tell that it's over a thousand people, you know, like oh, a couple hundred per team, you know? Um, and, and that really does a lot to, to diminish trust on the team. People are afraid they're nervous. They're, they're anxious. And, and the impact that that actually has on teams is these, there are companies out there that are anticipating a recession. And so they are laying off in anticipate in, in anticipation of, of the, of the market going South. Well, you have teams that are, have to continue on uh, in, in that condition of uncertainty, Christian, and they have to continue to perform. I, I was just talking to a, a project manager in Lebanon who was saying there was one team that didn't have enough resources. I don't know if I shared this with you. And so they they merged with her team. So they took on all the responsibilities of this other team. And then three people on the team left because the culture was was negative. So the team leader was there continuing to produce at the same level when she had four people on her team. Killing her health, you know, uh, her her anxiety and stress all going up, and her physical health taking a huge hit. And so, as a result, yeah, teams are are self identifying as we we need help. We're struggling. So, aside from getting more people on your team, <laughs> uh, <laughs> we you know, it's funny. Before we started uh, the podcast, we were talking off air. Uh, about the Utah Jazz, um, but you know there are certain teams in the NBA. The team that they just played, the Pacers, were missing four or five people from the team. Right, they, they right. were out with injuries or illness. When they played the Lakers. They were missing LeBron James. Yeah, and and, and so they're you know you've got teams uh, that are missing a lot of players, and and it's hard because how do you manage the expectation? You know, well, we still have to go out there. We got to try our best and win, but our chances of being successful are reduced. If we don't have as many team members, that's, that's outside of the control of a, of a team member, right? We don't have any control over whether another person leaves or not, or three people leave or not. And we just have to figure out the best way we can do it. So leaving that aside, the resource constraint, you know, what have you found? I mean, the, the authors of this study found certain things that uh, are important to creating and maintaining teams of trust and successful, high-performing teams. You know, what have you found in your experience? You know, one of the things we talked about before was uh, a point that was made by the authors here, which is, hey, before you get working, figure out how you're supposed to be working together, how you actually want to work together first. Why don't why don't we start off there? Why don't you tell us some of the experiences you've had or some of the insights you've got from establishing a team in the beginning, sure. figuring out the rules of engagement for a team? You know, it, it's um, it's interesting. I, I get to work with uh, a lot of different teams in different industries that are frustrated because there is low trust on the team. There's dysfunction on the team, and so. Then they meet with me, Christian, an outsider and a stranger, which you think would even impact trust at a, at a deeper level in a negative way, right? Because here's this outsider coming in and, ha- you know, how are we going to bare our souls to each other in front of this person? We don't want to air our dirty laundry. And so there's a, there's a process that, that is so simple to, to bring uh, teams together. And, and it, what we want to focus on is not just top-down trust, as we identified here, is is peer-to-peer trust between teammates. How do they get to a place where they can be vulnerable with each other, where they can have honest conversations, and that on, honest conversation can uh, be about sharing how they feel about uh, the other team member and the frustrations they have or uh, the stress that, that they're feeling, whatever whatever that is. But typically when a team works together, when you're just for example, you're putting a project team together, you know, you'll have the team leader say, okay, Christian, you're going to do this, Spencer, you're going to do this. And, and we just divvy out the work. And same with, you know, working with a, a lot of trainers come in and they start coaching and teaching people about what they need to do to have trust. What I like to do is 
we, I, I, I set an expectation, not from me, but from the team. I just did this with uh, the National Speakers Association with my, um, I, I was asked to lead a, a team of, of CSPs and CPAEs. That, that, that basically means that some of the best speakers in the world, I had a group of, of nine of them plus, plus me. And instead of coming in and being, you know, the expert saying, hey, here's how we're going to run this meeting. I asked them because I've experienced this with so many teams. I said, what would you like to, you know, what does success look like to you? How would you like this to go? And when I meet with new teams that have been dysfunctional, we create basically a team agreement, Christian, about how we're going to work together. What would you like to see happen? How do you want the conversation to go? How do, what do we do when somebody doesn't keep the agreement? And we, 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 we identify the rules of engagement and it comes from the entire team. So it's not from top down. It's not from the leader. It's, we identify them together and then we all agree on them and including, you know, what's, how, how are we going to hold each other accountable? And I think it's a great place to start, whether you're on a project or you're, you're wanting to, uh, address challenges on the team, set expectations about how we're going to operate. All right. So I've got a follow-up question to this, Spencer, because in many teams, you may have certain people who, uh, to use the terminology that, that you often use with your clients, are high dominant, right? Yeah. So they don't have a problem speaking out their mind and, and they, they want to be heard. And then you have other people who may be uh, more... <laughs> High conforming or high pace, uh, or you know, they 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 don't want to rock the boat, so they just kind of keep to themselves. They don't want to say too much, but it, right inside, they might just be really frustrated because they may not necessarily <laughs> agree with with their peers who are more outspoken, but they don't feel comfortable in sharing their own perspective. So, how do you create an environment? when you're establishing these rules of engagement to ensure that everybody has a voice and their voices are valued, you know, and that you, you, you overcome the fear, able to set aside the fear that some people might have who are typically a little bit more quiet or reserved and and don't want to rock the boat. Well, part of that comes out in that initial agreement, uh, Christian. I mean, there are some people that say, Hey, listen, I need you to, you know, to not raise your voice. I need you to, when you, when you have a concern, I need you to uh, stay calm. I mean that because some people get, you know, shut down when somebody becomes assertive or, uh, and, and other people may say, well, I need you to be, uh, I need you to be very direct and, and, you know, to the point, but we, we start to share what it is we need from each other. And so part of those needs actually come as a result of our natural personalities. I also do behavioral assessments on everybody, and we we get to know each other. We learn about each other, what what each other's needs are, and and that enables us to to lower our swords a little bit. Because if I know somebody is not maliciously trying to to trigger me just because they are naturally more assertive and I'm not, I can be a little more accepting and patient with with those differences. And so we create some more awareness around that. And one of the ways is just to do some some self discovery and, and help identify some of the behavioral tendencies, and that's part of the process. Uh, let me give you an example of of how this could work. So last January, almost exactly a year ago, I sit on the board of the National Speakers Association Mountain West chapter, and and one of the assignments that we had from our president Cheryl Knowlton was to update our our chapter bylaws. Now, I, most of us would rather, you know, stick a sharp stick in our eye than, than to have to update the, the bylaws of, of the association. And as part of the exercise, we'd planned a, a, an entire Saturday afternoon, and we were going to do some, some other things, but m- that was the main task. And, y- you know, I, I knew a little bit about the makeup of the team, and, and, and so did she anecdotally. And so I asked, let's do a... Let's do a, a team scan. In other words, behavioral assessments on everybody and then come up with this with this team scan uh, so we really can set the team up for success. And what we found is that 85% of the team were high extroverts. 
Well, just in a short (laughs) – make this short. Basically, they want to talk about everything and go off in every different direction and uh, focusing on details, which is exactly what we needed to do, is not their strong point. Uh, They get bored quickly and get distracted. So that was going to be a problem (laughs) for this assignment. 15% or two of the team members were uh, high dominant. We didn't have any high conformity, which is all about attention to detail and and structure, which would have been hugely helpful. We didn't have any high pace or patient, which would have, you know, kept us more again on, on track. And so what we did is we acknowledged the makeup of the team, Christian, before we started doing the work. So kind of like what we were talking about here. And we said, it is probable that with this team, we're going to get sidetracked and we're going to get off topic and we're going to go on tangents. And and when that happens, to keep us on track, we empower you two to, to let us know, <laughs> to bring us back on track. And it takes trust to do that, right? Because we're going to say, listen, we need you to speak up if, if we're going down uh, unproductive paths and we had the most successful day and we accomplished the task we had fun doing it and 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 because we addressed the the challenges of the makeup of the individuals on the team in advance it was easy when those behaviors came up to say oh there it is right instead of feeling defensive it was we said it was going to happen there it is okay back on track let's 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 get focused but that's the that's the benefit of having a team agreement and and setting the rules before you actually focus on the uh, you know on the task or the project. What's really interesting to me about that experience, Spencer, is that uh, you took into consideration how people actually naturally function. Yeah, and what that tells me is that there isn't necessarily a one size fits all approach because you have to address the different personalities on the team. And depending on those personalities, you'll have to structure a way to work together that takes those different kinds of uh, personality or communication styles into account. Because if you had a team that was full of high patience, high conforming people, your approach may have been much different. Absolutely. Because... The the pendulum could have swung the other way, which is we are spending so much time on details that don't really matter. We're not getting anything done, right? So so your rules of engagement would have been different based on those kinds of people. And so I think that's super important. Perhaps step zero in this process is you need to do this kind of objective assessment to understand how your people actually naturally operate and how they operate under pressure because your rules your rules of engagement need to be tailored to the personalities on the team you're so right christian and and it's it's such an important point that the 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 dynamics would have been completely different with a different set of of people so first of all you have to identify the strengths on on this team what are the strengths you know we talk a lot about diversity uh, you know and how important that is It, it, it just like conflict when we'll talk about that in a minute is important to a team. Well, how do you have conflict if you don't have multiple perspectives? Well, if you don't have the the perspectives, it's actually helpful to, to, to go out and find them that are maybe different than you actually mine for, for conflict. Why? Because if, if we all think the same way, we're not going to be as, as complete in our solutions as if we were with with more perspectives. Now those more perspectives can create conflict. So identify the strengths of the team and where are the blind spots of the team. And and you can, in a way, you can uh, in, almost like manufacture uh, behaviors that, that are missing by creating awareness of, of where the gaps are in, in perspectives. And and that's that's sort of what we did. Now it's not it's not perfect, but we we made use of the resources that we had. Well, we could go on for this on this one little area, I think, for a long time. But uh, you know, coming back to the author, so Ron Freeman was the author of the article, "How High Performing Teams Build Trust." Again, in the Harvard Business Review, uh, his second point is we should proactively share information. You know, mm-hmm. we shouldn't hoard knowledge. And uh, I love that that term. What did he call it? <laughs> is it knowledge hoarding? Exactly. Knowledge hiding. Hide. 
Yeah, hiding. Yeah, we shouldn't hide. hide. You know, uh, but we should proactively share information and be transparent. You know, the team needs to be transparent. And I'm curious, again, you know, in your experience, you've worked with so many organizations over the years, so many different teams over the years. Um, you know, what is it that keeps uh, teams from sharing information? What circumstances actually promote uh, the transparency of information. It, it, just what we're talking about. It's trust. I mean, if 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 I'm afraid that I'm going to get feedback or look bad, I'm going to hold on to information because you know maybe the project is is going south, and I'm like, okay, I need to I need to correct it instead of saying, hey, here's what's happening. Um, here's the challenge. I need to I need to I need to let you know that there's a risk on, on this program, you know, and I'm, and I'm, I'm, I'm addressing it, but I may need help for some people, especially new leaders that can seem very unsafe because it signals the fact that you need help, which means you're somehow incompetent. We all need help from time to time. I, you know, I, I tell the story of, I was invited to go to Florida with my wife, Jana to, work with a client and we were going on a cruise. They invited us to go with the whole company on a cruise. And we got to the, the, the Cape, Cape Canaveral. We got to the port and the port authority comes on and says, Hey, we need your passports. And Jana turned to me, my wife, and she says, I forgot my passport. Well, I have a situation right here, Christian. I mean, I, 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 <laughs> I could say to my wife, well, sorry, honey, I got You know, the company's paid for me to be here. You got to figure this out. Uh, otherwise, you know, this is hugely embarrassing for us. And my relationship with my wife is put at risk. <laughs> or I go to the client and I say, hey, you know, this is what happened. I, I, I can't come on, on the cruise. I mean, it's like a no-win situation, right? But instead of shutting my wife down, by like because this kind of thing has happened before, not this exact, but where she's forgotten things. And I, I won't get into why. I mean, being a, a mom and, and taking care of everything before you go on a trip is very easy to forget a detail. And I went to the Port Authority and I said, what are our options? What, what can we do? Oh, you can get a copy of your passport or you can get a birth certificate. And, and so I turned to my wife. I said, okay, how can we, how can we work this? And we began to solve the problem together. She says, I can call the Larkins. They can break in the house. I said, yeah, I'll call the office of vital statistics. And I went to the CEO of the company and I said, Hey, here's the situation. Here's the situation that we're in. Here's our plan. Here's what we're going to do. Um, and it turned out to be a great win. But if we were to hide that, I mean, I, I just can't imagine doing that. But sometimes people hide because they don't want to look bad. They don't want to look like they made a mistake or that they're that they're imperfect. They want to they want to put this persona out there that, you know, I'm the right person for the job. That's why you hired me. And if I admit that there's a problem, that that means there's something wrong with me. And that that means there's not a psychological safety. There's not trust on the team. There's not trust with your managers, with your peers. So you hold on to information. You try to fix the problem. You try to handle it all on your own. It's a mistake. <laughs> yeah, it's funny you mentioned that situation there at Cape Canaveral because we, and our family, almost 20 years ago, had the same situation going to Vancouver, driving up from Seattle. You know, So we were in Seattle, we were visiting friends, and we thought we're going to drive up to Vancouver and spend some time up there. Well, we get to the border crossing, and it's at that point in time that I realized that the folder that we had all of our passports in, you know, we had left it at the hotel. And oh, uh, we're like, shoot, oh. what are we going to do? So at the border, yeah. crossing, we, again, we did the same thing. Asked, well, what are our options? And they gave us basically the same options. And so we called the hotel and said, will you please go into our room and look <laughs> here, find this folder, make some copies, fax them to the to the border control folks. So we, you know, it took us about, I think we were sitting around for about 45 minutes there <laughs> at the border crossing. Uh, but they did. They faxed the, they, you know, they faxed copies of all the passports, and they and, and they allowed us in. You know, we were able to go to to Vancouver and enjoy it. But if but if we hid that and said, well, I, you know, I'm too embarrassed to go to the border control. I'm, well, let's just turn around. We were, we're not going to go to Canada. Then right. our children would have missed out on that opportunity, right? Now I want to flip this around and ask the on the other side because I've I've also you know in interviewing people in the past I've heard on more than one occasion 
a person tell me that one of the ways that they were able to advance in their career is they hoarded information and they became the unique source of information for uh, their team or their project. Uh, and so they became these knowledge hoarders where they wanted to monopolize it because it it kept their place in the team, you know? So, you know, how, and, and so that impedes transparency as well because people aren't going to share the knowledge unless they feel like, okay, if I, if I share this, if I just share everything I know, then I'm no longer, uh, you know, I'm expendable. You know, so so so, what do you do in those situations to promote knowledge sharing in a team instead of hoarding it? You know, so that you appear like you are the you are the savior that only you uh, you know have all of the knowledge that uh, is needed to keep that team afloat. I, I have some opinions, but I'd, I I've been talking a lot. I'd like to hear how you handle it. <laughs> well, uh, it's. It's a bit nuanced, right? Because because there there are some in some cases where there are certain things that ne- shouldn't necessarily be shared with everybody. You know, there's some personal things or, or or whatnot. But ultimately, what was creating this was an environment of insecurity, yep. right? That's right. That's and, that's the, that was so, typically the number one reason. Yeah. So you had to you had to create an environment where people felt secure enough that they didn't feel like, oh, well, if I hoard this information, if I'm the one that holds on to all the documents, you know, it's okay. I'm still protected. You know, I'm still a valuable member of the team. I don't have to be the fount of all knowledge. And it really came from, you know, you know, creating an environment that, that was safe. It comes from fear, Christian. It comes from fear because if I share all this information, that means there's redundancy. And and if I mess up, that they can get rid of me. And it creates a lot of pain for the organization because eventually, you you know, you will leave and and, and then people are going to have to figure everything out. And it's, I mean, I've been through that and it is super, super painful. It's it's so much better for the organization for, for us to be more transparent, to be willing to share it. Now, are there some things that are confidential? Absolutely. We're not talking about that. I'm talking about process. I'm talking about uh, systems. I'm talking about leadership knowledge. The best leaders that, that I know were always willing to teach. They were always willing to share and give opportunities to to grow, to, to work, to, to, to go beyond our, you know, my, uh, maybe my, my present experience to be stretched. And, and so that requires that they have some patient with patience with me with, with some errors that I make that requires confidence on the leader's part. You know, I, I hear so many leaders, Christian say, well, I, I, I hold on to, to responsibility or, or tasks because if I give it to someone and they mess up, that looks, that reflects bad on me. And, and again, that comes from fear. And so that's one of the ways that people hold on to things is they just, they don't want it to reflect negatively on them. So it's, it, it becomes very egocentric and, and that's really antithetical to high performance teams. It, and that's going to lead into, you know, what we talk about later, you know, team, one of the best indicators of a high performance team is really sharing feedback or success and not hoarding it to, for yourself. So if, if I'm hoarding information, it's because I want the accolades, I want the recognition, I want all of the uh, the praise so that I have that value that, that creates security for me. But the high-performing teams do it exactly the opposite. It, they share the wealth of, of feedback. They share the accolades and 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 therefore they have to share the the, the information and, and the responsibilities. So I told you beforehand, I probably get into the sports analogies because that's where I go. I love Once it. Once again, looking at our amazing Utah Jazz who are go jazz! tearing it up in the, in the NBA right now. I mean, they yeah. started out so dysfunctional. I think they would be a fantastic case study on building a high-performing team because they were awful at the beginning of the season. You know, at one point in time, they were 7-16, and 16, so 7 wins and 16 losses. 
And it looked like they were used the term that we use around here, tanking, you know, for better draft picks in the future. <laughs> uh, they were just so bad. Um, and what the coach did is kind of move. Uh, he, he adjusted the lineups, you know, and who plays with each other and found those players who play play best with each other to complement each other. Now, one of the things that I found really interesting about that is that inevitably when you do this kind of stuff, there are players that get the short end of the stick. And one of those players in particular, his name is Taylor Horton Tucker, yeah. uh, fell completely out of the rotation. He has not played a ball game now, I think for like 11, 12. Uh, he has not, he's, he's not been activated by the coach. So he's not played at all. But what's really interesting is what you hear from his teammates, what you hear from his coaches, what you hear from uh, reporters in the media is that Taylor Horton Tucker has been super willing to work with uh, the rookie Keontae George and sharing anything that he's learned to help Keontae be better in his game. So he could very easily really hard to yeah, do. He can be very sour and and yeah. uh, and resentful and not want to share knowledge with uh, another team member, not want to mentor another team member because he is, you know, he's sitting on the bench and maybe not feel like he's making a valuable contribution. But that's the role that he's playing, and he's actually wholeheartedly accepted that role. And he's which, actually contributing to the team. In a positive he is way, contributing to the team, and when you listen to the team, uh, uh, you know, talk, what do they do? They share the credit with each other, just as you said, right? When the team is performing well, the first thing they do is is they thank their teammates and their coaches. You know, right? They're sharing. So I think it's really interesting case study on how uh, team members who may be asked to make sacrifices for the betterment of the whole team. But as long as they understand their role and the role is making this kind of contribution, even though it may not have been the contribution that they initially anticipated, it's still a positive contribution. And, and so I, I, I just love seeing that in the, in, in, in sports, you know, we saw it with Alex Smith and Patrick Mahomes, you know, Alex Smith was the starting quarterback for the Kansas city chiefs. They drafted Patrick Mahomes. You know, yeah. Alex was the seasoned veteran. Patrick was the rookie, but he had tremendous potential. And the coaches basically told him, we want you to mentor this kid to take over your job. Yeah, and so that, that, takes a, that takes a lot of confidence. And, and I'll tell you, um, I mean, I, the Jazz have been 12 and 14 in the last 14 games, which means that that's the best record in the NBA for those last 14 games. And uh, they're playing incredibly well as a team. They're holding each other accountable. They're having trust between teammates where they can have conversations like stop playing isolation ball. Let's stop with the pickup ball. Let's start playing team ball. And, you know, if there's somebody who knows about cooking something up uh, in terms of trust, that's Frank Kitchen, who's been a uh, a guest with us in the past. Good morning, hello, uh, Frank. Frank. <laughs> Thanks for for uh, chiming in and and saying hello on on the show this morning. We appreciate you. Uh, Frank is uh, he's certainly a great team player and a, and a coach of organizations and individuals to be uh, incredible team players and 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 so thank you for for giving us a shout out this morning. So yeah, I love that example and and you know. Will Hardy is a, a brand new coach, young coach, and trying to figure things out. And he is—I uh, mean, I love the dynamics of, of this team. That really no superstar players again, <laughs> but just a team that's playing incredibly well together. Uh, Frank says, "Put me in, coach." <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, well. Anyway, well, it's, I think uh, we should probably get to the kind of the 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 last two elements uh, yeah. of this, which really deal with conflict because not everybody agrees all the time. It's not always uh, uh, you got something to say. Yeah, before before we get there, I think one of the things that that I like to do in in setting the foundation with a team is ask team members what is the best team that they've ever been on. Mm -hmm. 
and, and so I, I this is kind of in the beginning when we're setting our expectations. I say, what is the best team you've ever been on? Everybody, Christian, whether it was a band or you know debate team or a, 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 you know another work team. A sports team that they played on, they are able to identify the things that made it great. And almost in every circumstance, they identify the things that we've been talking about. And it's so strange to me that everybody knows what a high-performance team is, and yet we still only see, what, 9 9 to 12% of teams worldwide are high-performing. And and I think that speaks a lot to the fact that there is fear and or, or just a culture on the team that is not promoting that that trust that we're talking about there there are conditions on that team that that are are very real and so I, I think it's really important to to acknowledge that but I think it's also important to, to know that you can quickly shift I, I'm talking about in a day day and a half you can see that trust developed and 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 started I did a process back in um August with, you know, with a medical school, the deans and, and president, and, and they were able to make a, a shift almost instantly. And that's continued. And um, it, it's so exciting to see. So some of these things that we're talking about will have an immediate impact. So let's, let's move on to what you were talking about. All right, which is uh, disagreement, conflict, right? Because not everything is uh, rainbows and unicorns. And yeah. sometimes uh, people have disagreements about how certain things should be done or the way a, a particular person is is contributing or not contributing on the team. So, so how can you productively handle these kinds of disagreements uh, so that they don't rip your team apart, but instead can be used to actually strengthen the team? So a good, great question. In my experience, uh, some of the things that we've already talked about are actually helpful. Identifying how people uh, handle conflict. Everybody handles it a little bit differently. And acknowledging those differences. Some people are, 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 are feel safe with, with uh, you know, more of a combative type of discussion where they just like, well, tell me how it is. Other people want some time and, and uh, they, they want to think about it. They don't want to be. Uh, they don't want to be called out publicly. And so, knowing people's preferences for conflict is, is a great place to to start. Um, a, a couple other things. Just your attitude towards conflict is super helpful as well. Some people look at it as as a negative, but if you look at it as the potential for creating better outcomes, in other words, there's an opportunity there. Um, I, I think that's. That, that's huge, just in the mindset of, of the benefits that come from conflict. In other words, if you have a difficult challenge, it's really important to what we, what we call diverge on, on solution finding, right? We want to have different, different ideas. If the problem is very simple and basic, you know, we've had guests on here actually talk about that in the past where they say, you know, if, if it's a simple problem, we can all converge very quickly and have like-minded thinking. But if it's a complex problem, we need divergence. We need different perspectives. Why? Because, listen, if we, if we go to market and we haven't considered all the possibilities, we're going to have a failure that we didn't think of. But if we deal with that up front, that means we're going to come to market with a product that is, 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 is tested, is proven, is tried, and that is a win, but that comes from sometimes saying, no, we haven't thought of this. Well, what, what about that? Well, we, you know, and that is conflict where we have disagreement of ideas or even opposing ideas from time to time. And so that's really, really, uh, really poor, important. And then I think setting ground rules for how you have it. Again, that goes back to what I said earlier, in, and that is setting um basically uh, uh, rules for how you're going to have conflict. I mean, how do we behave? Do we, do we call each other names? There's affective conflict and, um, and really that's really focused on personality and, and individuals instead focus on cognitive disagreement, which is ideas, right? And how do we do that? We do that respectfully. We do, we don't get sarcastic. We don't, you know, we don't name call and say, you know what, that's a stupid idea. It's like, yes. And, uh, so we, we have cognitive disagreement versus affective disagreement, which is, as I said, personal. And 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 we identify when one of the things that – so I, like I said, I've been doing team diagnostics for a long time now. 
and I've been certified with Team Coaching International. I, I, I do team diagnostics with teams. And one of the things that we identify when I'm working with these, with these teams that are dysfunctional are four toxins to every team. And this comes from the Gottman Institute. And, and this our, uh, author mentions those because it, they're, 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 so, um, they're so impactful and so important that we, we, need to, we need to know what they are. And so these toxins are our blame, our stonewalling, our uh, uh, defensiveness, and contempt. And over 30 years of study and research has gone into relationships, what makes them successful and what makes them fail, and, and specifically the marriage relationship. And, and those same contributors to a marriage relationship impact professional relationships, I mean, if I'm stonewalling, in other words, stopping you and not allowing you to talk, if I'm blaming you all the time, if I, if the most destructive is contempt. I mean, if you sustain contempt for somebody, it, it destroys relationships. It, de- it destroys trust. And and being defensive when you call me out on on a weakness of ice, I don't, you know, I I don't accept that feedback. I'm never going to change. So these are the things that that destroy trust and relationships. And so. We actually identify them when I when I do a workshop, and I ask people to own the toxin that they most commonly uh, uh, um, show. I have two. I mean, I get defensive and um, probably, uh, well, maybe three. Maybe blame and, and contempt I do from time to time. We all do them, right? But once you own them... Um, then it's easy to say, okay, these, these are what shows up for me and, and my personality. And when it shows up, how are we going to behave? What are we going to do? What, what is the, what, what is the approach we're going to take? And some teams, for example, they make fun, right? They do like a soccer yellow card. Uh Oh, yellow card. We see contempt showing up or, you know, timeout. We got a, uh, you know, uh, holding on the field, whatever, false start, uh, uh, blaming, showing up, just something that gives them the, uh, hey, this is what's going to happen when, when we see blame defensiveness. We're going to call it out and we're going to have fun with it. Um, that's, a, a, that's a really great way to handle it. What ideas love, do you have? I, I love those really, really practical examples. Um, yeah. I, I, because of recency bias, I think I'm coming back to the Utah Jazz again. So <laughs> that's so, good. Uh, it's a good example. One player who has really uh, excelled in this new approach is a player by the name of Colin Sexton. I was just going to say, you got to say Colin. He's been he's so, been killing, uh, and he is relentless. I mean, he plays so hard, and I think his his he's been such a great example to his teammates when he's out there because it's quite inspiring and to see him going all out. Yeah. But, but a really interesting thing last night when I was listening to the uh, post game, um, uh, the radio announcer of the Utah jazz was, was talking about conversation that he had with the coach, uh, Will Hardy about Colin Sexton. And, um, and he said a couple of things that I thought really stood out. Number one, was he established with Colin. He says, hey, when I provide feedback or I'm very critical because I am going to be hard on you, please do not take it personally. I am not criticizing you personally. You know, this is all about trying to help you become the best player that you can be. Number two, which I thought was really, really insightful, was the coach said that he had to reassess how he was feeling about and thinking about Colin because um, there, you know, there was a lot of feedback that uh, he had received from the, his previous teams, uh, coaches and, and stuff and, and former athletes who had played with him. And so he, he had kind of gone into this uh, relationship with certain assumptions that over time he realized his assumptions were incorrect. Mm-hmm. And he needed to reevaluate how he felt about this person uh, because the the information that he had was not correct. And I think that's or even if it was correct, it, that maybe Colin changed, and that sometimes right. our our perspectives of somebody are, are are coloring how they can perform on our team in in today's environment. So you know, it was so it was interesting to hear him say that because. 
it is quite common uh, when we get into a team environment for people's reputations to precede them and for us yeah. to make assumptions about exactly. how they are going to behave. And then we act based on those assumptions. But sometimes it requires us becoming humble and be willing to set aside those assumptions and actually get to know a person, you know, rather than just rely on what everybody else has said about them. Because uh, chances are maybe, maybe, um, maybe they don't understand the full picture. You know, so I thought that was really, really interesting. Those it two is. takeaways from that. Number one is, is, is being able to establish a relationship of trust to the point where you can be critical and you can be clear with the person and say, this, I'm not making a personal attack here. But notice, Christian, he did that before the fact. Yes. Because what happens, if, if it happens without that context, it's like, what are you doing? What what are, what is your motive? You know, but it, when you say it, it's like, hey, this is this is what's going to happen, and here's why it's going to happen. It's because I I, I care for you, and here's how I'm going to show you. I'm not going to just allow you to be able to go out and and and, and behave in in a way that that's actually going to hurt your career or the team. I I want to point out those things that you can do better. Are you okay with that? I, I do that with my coaching clients sometimes, especially ones that don't know me well. I ask, "Are you okay if if I get if I get honest with you right now? Are are is it? Do you feel safe if I give you some feedback?" And sometimes, you know, very rarely do they say no, but most of the time it is, "Yeah, I mean, I I want to hear it." And then they're in a space where they're accepting and and say, "Okay, so this is not criticism. This is meant to be." This is an observation that will help you. So it's it's actually preempted. It's it's set up in advance of when you're in the heat of the moment. That's not the time to have that, you know, those behaviors because we anyway, that I think that's a great story. I love that you bring that up and uh, continue. Those those are great examples. Whether you're a Utah Jazz fan or not, you can relate that to your favorite sports team, wh- whatever it is, curling team. I saw curling uh Signs for curling uh, halls in Canada. I, I, I miss that. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Uh, okay, so so conflict and tension. I you know so the, those last two points that he made are are pretty closely related. You know, yes. One is having productive conflict. The other is proactively addressing tension. You know, not allowing it to fester uh, and explode, but addressing it proactively. Uh, so those those two things are related. But when it comes to this uh, proactively addressing tension, you know, again, what thoughts do you have about that? What experiences have you had? I'm going to I'm going to say be proactive in addressing this kind of tension. I, I tried to find that picture, Christian, you know, you typically see those pictures of uh, in the walls of, of offices that say like, you know, teamwork or leadership, right? Typically associated with this teamwork is a, is a group of, of individuals on a, on a boat rowing, you know, sculling boat on this smooth water. And they're wearing these tight uniforms. They look fabulous and they're all rowing perfectly together. And it says teamwork. In my experience, that is not how a team looks. Usually they're bumping each other's oars. The waves are splashing over the edge of the boat and uniforms don't always look perfect. I, I think it's acknowledging that you can have a high-performing team and somebody's shirt might be untucked or it's it's just not it's not exactly perfect. But I think what we're talking about here is we need to be able to say when I need to be able to have a conversation with with my wife when uh, she does something that I'm really frustrated with and she needs to be able to do the same with me. And where I will sit and listen to her and not be defensive while I hear her perspective. The same is true of coworkers. If somebody's doing something that is really bothering me, um, I need to have that conversation and, and try to understand, but not just say, hey, this sucks, stop doing it. It's like, hey, I, I want to talk to you about what's going on. Um, anyway, that's you know having the, the ability to address frustrations and anxiety and not letting them build up. You know, one of the things that, that the ProScan that I have does is it identifies stress, good stress or bad stress. Sometimes you need a, 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 a pretext to have a conversation. And, and an assessment like this actually does that because it will show the stress and we can say, 
hey, it looks like right now you're feeling the need to be much more assertive or talk a lot less. Tell me what's going on. So you're actually opening the door to have that that discussion. Uh, a good manager is going to empower his team or her team to be able to say, listen, I want you to give me feedback. How am I doing? And that, again, takes confidence to do and a lack of fear. And so I think that those are some things that are uh, you just you got to learn to have a growth mindset that there's going to be tough discussions, just like Colin Sexton. I'm going to have this tough discussion with you because I want you to grow and be better at what you do. And I think if you take that approach, it's much easier to hear and receive that sometimes uncomfortable feedback. What do you think? Oh, I totally agree. Uh, you know, when you talk about those four uh, toxins, I mean, defensiveness is definitely the one that that is the biggest one for me. And so, which one being defensiveness? Yeah, right. Yeah, so that that's number one for me for sure. And so, you know, if a if a leader or a teammate uh, can set that expectation up front, so that I don't, I can I I can override the circuitry in my brain that tells it to be defensive, right? Right, exactly. Uh, um, then then it can be productive because if I if if you don't have that context up front, then I will put the wall up. You know, I will be defensive. And so um I think it's you know proactively addressing attention is 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 making it clear up front this is what we're gonna do uh so that I know that I, I can feel safe and I can let my guard down and I can hear what the other person has to say uh, without taking it too personally. I've been so engaged in the conversation, I forgot to do our, <laughs> our little bumpers throughout there. Yeah, we're almost an hour into it, and we just finally <laughs> played the bumper. <laughs> I'm sorry. Hopefully, people haven't been overwhelmed by just the nonstop talking. Uh, well, uh, why don't we wrap it up? You know, at the end, you mentioned at the end of this article, there was a sentence that you that you uh, that really resonated with you that you really agreed with. So why don't we kind of wrap it up on that one? Well, let me start with the one that I disagreed with, <laughs> and that is trust isn't relayed from the top down. Um, I, I'm not sure that that's completely accurate. Uh, however, what is accurate, it can't just be the leader. What did resonate with me is that it, it is trust is built organically on a foundation of behaviors exhibited by all team members that empower everyone to produce their best results. I 100% agree with that. It has to be everyone. However, if the team leader is somehow grandstanding or, or, you know, egos in the way and stopping that or creating the conditions on the team where it's really hard for the rest of the team to, to have that trust, it, it won't succeed. So that it has to be everyone starting at the top and, uh, we get to include every single person. You can't be sitting on a team waiting for that team leader to, to lead. You have to, you have to do your best, but if the team leader is, is not going to be doing it, then how long is, uh, you know, you're going to be able to fight and you might have to choose a new team, but, uh, it, it's got to be everyone. Well, it's, uh, you know, go, coming back to sports, you know, how many times have we heard, that a coach has lost the locker room, right? Yeah. That, uh, uh, and so even teams that at some point in time have a a strong peer to peer culture, you know, where where the teams really are, uh, the team culture really is. I don't know if enforced is the right word, but uh, um, it's enabled by this, you know, by the ex by the veterans in that locker room, you know, but. Uh, if if the plan that's put in place by the coaches is not working, um, that team will eventually crumble because the the people in that locker room will eventually lose the trust or the that they had in the team leader, you know, to to move them forward. And so, I think it's both, right? You have to have that effective team leader that creates a safe space for the team to to uh, do its very best. 
and then and that's where they get that's where they ask for feedback tell tell me what what you know how my plan is 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 wrong so you can actually have that discussion if you don't have those opportunities to weigh in and you just keep forcing your plan and without the without the buy-in it is it will fail and so that's where all of these things that we're talking about are related to to I'm, i'm having a problem with the coach or the the coach is having a problem with me. We need to have those conversations in a you know a productive way, and, and and address them before they get to a point where people are like, "I'm out of here," or "You're fired," and uh, and and that takes that takes effort, it takes energy, and it takes sometimes getting out of our own way based on the personality that we may have, right? Or calming it down or, or, or bringing the energy up. Just, it, it's completely situational based on who's involved in, in those discussions. I totally agree. Well, gosh, Spencer, here we, it's 55 minutes in, uh, what a fascinating conversation. Uh, before we wrap it up, any final thoughts? Yeah, we, it, I do. Um, Great article. Read it. How high performing teams build trust. It follows exactly the the formula that I use when I do team diagnostics. I thought that was uh, really really interesting, almost to to the T. Uh, you know, it's it was really which which says there's a there's a process that is really helpful to building teams. Um, we are going to be having some great guests coming up, Christian. So here's my last word. Um, we are doing a special uh, episode this week on Thursday. Normally, we do one, maybe uh, one a week if we're lucky. This week, we're going to do two episodes because I'm not available next week. But we're going to have Corey Perlman. And Corey is a uh, certified speaking professional with the NSA, but his expertise is social media. And he is... Fantastic. I mean, he's such an incredible uh, speaker and leader and really, really good at, at, at social media. But the, the focus of his latest book is called Authentically Social. And he talks about how to, how to just be authentically you. And that's one of the things that actually builds trust on a team. And he's going to talk about how that impacts team performance. But specifically, we're going to talk about some of the the uh, the nuggets from from his new book. And uh, actually, I probably wasn't supposed to show that. It's uh, it's actually uh, um, releasing today or or Thursday. So maybe it's releasing Thursday. That's what it is. So I've just given you a sneak peek of his book, <laughs> but we're going to talk about it on. <laughs> On the 18th, uh, what's involved in in this uh, in, in this approach being you know uh, authentically you and how that impacts team performance? So Corey's going to be here with us Thursday. The time's going to be a little different. We're going to do it at 1 p.m. Eastern instead of noon. So join us for that, please. Please register and listen and, and ask Corey your questions. It's going to be really fun. Well, I'm really glad that you brought that up because I'm super looking forward to that conversation really aligns with something that you've uh, been uh, focused on recently, which is flexible authenticity, right? You've been talking a lot about that with people and organizations. Yeah. Uh, and so I think it's going to be a fantastic conversation and I'm super stoked for it. So Spencer, uh, as we leave today, uh, if our listeners, viewers wish to learn more about how you could potentially help them, what's the best way for them to reach out and connect with you? You know, it, it, Reach out on LinkedIn. If you go to my LinkedIn, there's actually a link on there that says a uh, set up a discovery call. I'm happy to do a discovery team diagnostic with you. And I have a tool that that you can look at the level of trust and, and several other factors for your team's high performance uh, success as well. So I'd love to be able to provide that for you if you're interested. And I do a free version of that. It's called the Team Leader View. Uh, but it's, I think it's really fascinating to kind of check in to see where that, where the conditions on your team are for high performance. How about you, Christian? Where can we find you? Well, before I get to that, let me just give, uh, let me just vouch for what you just said there with the team diagnostic and, and uh, taking advantage of this opportunity. I personally have taken this uh, diagnosis, the pro scan, I participated in that. Uh, was really, really helpful in in helping me understand my own tendencies, you know. And so 
that's been very helpful for me in relating to other people on my team. So I highly, highly encourage uh, listeners and uh, viewers, uh, if you have not already done so, take advantage of this opportunity and connect with Spencer. And if you want to connect with me, uh, same LinkedIn, just go to my LinkedIn, Christian Napier, just look me up there, you'll find me and I'm happy to happy to connect with anyone. So Spencer, once again, thank you for an amazing hour of your time. Really appreciate it. Listeners, viewers, thank you so much for joining us and liking and subscribing to our podcast. We'll catch you again soon. 